Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday morning messages are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, enjoy the message. Today we're going to begin part two of a series I'm doing called Better Call Paul. Last week we laid the foundation, you know, to talk about if Paul were here and he could be a part of our our everyday lives, what would he have to say to us? And how would he respond to the challenges of our times? Certainly Paul lived through some serious challenges as he was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Here was a Jewish Pharisee, a man, a teacher of teachers, a man who was on his up, a way up to have incredible influence among the Jewish leaders, maybe even to be a part of, San, of the Sanhedrin one day. And yet being an enemy of the cross, an enemy of the work of Christ, he was confronted by Christ himself. And you can read about that in the book of Acts. He was literally knocked off his donkey and uh, Christ appeared to him and confronted him because of his murderous persecution toward the church, the growing church in Jerusalem. And he was about to expand this uh, persecution to greater areas where Christ then stopped him and said, no more. I will teach you how to understand who the Messiah is. And so very powerful experience for Paul. And he becomes an ally of the church. He immediately goes from being one who is, uh, uh, you know, an enemy of the church to one who is a tremendous ally, using all the wonderful talent and preaching ability and understanding of the Old Testament law and prophets and combining them with the words of Christ, he becomes a tremendous theologian, helping us understand how we as Gentiles can understand Uh, the gospel, to understand the teachings of Jesus in the context of the Old Testament moral law. So last week we talked about Romans chapter 1 and how that was Paul's masterpiece of helping us understand why there is no man who has an excuse. And Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says that all have fallen short of the glory of God and essentially setting up his proclamation that God has provided a way out. God has provided a branch, one who will uh, bring salvation to all mankind for all those who believe. And so we know that Paul set the record straight in that how he said that and uh, how the creator has provided a solution for our problem. And then he comes to Romans chapter 8 as he has made his case and has presented Jesus Christ to Gentiles to help them get up to speed, so to speak, to understand why they needed a Savior and why he came from the Jews and why he was a Jew himself, and then now how the gospel is coming to all mankind. He says in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, he says, There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus or for those who have put their hope in this Savior who is Jesus Christ. He says, For the law of spirit of life, this spirit, this new law that has been released in what Jesus Christ did on the cross sets us free from the old law, the old curse of sin and death. And so we find out there's no condemnation. 
And what does that mean? Well, it means we're not condemned. But more than that, there is something that comes after that. And, and so Paul goes on with Romans chapter 8 to tell us that we've got so much more. And yet I think sometimes, Christians, we walk around with just the thought that we're not condemned. In other words, well, that's fine. I, I've got salvation. My, my security of, of heaven is covered. My fire insurance, so to speak. But Jesus died on the cross for so much more. He wanted us to experience life here. And so Paul gets to that in a wonderful portion of Romans chapter 8 that I'm going to read to us this morning right now, starting in verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Notice, he says, for those God has chosen, not all mankind. It says, it is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, danger or sword? <clears throat> Excuse me. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In all these things, Paul says, in all these things, and he lists them, quite a number of them actually, but he says trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness. You know, most of us have not experienced these things at all or danger, or sword. Of course, across the world, many have. But he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, this idea of being more than a conqueror is so much more than just not being condemned. Are you following me? The idea of just not being condemned brings us to a place of, 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 of victorious standing. It's, it's that you've, you've, been, you've gone to the judge and he said, not guilty, but now you're free to go. <clears throat> now you're free to go and enjoy the goodness of God in the land of the living. To enjoy the fact that you're no longer a, a, uh, in bondage, that you're no longer a slave to sin, <clears throat> that you're no longer controlled by the curse of the law, but that the spirit of life in Christ is now your inheritance. It's now going to be something you experience from day to day. And he says, this is the love of God. And he goes on to say that we will never be separated from this love. And that's where we're headed this morning. 
is for us to understand that God loves us so much and there's nothing that can separate us. So Paul makes his case again to show us why this love is so important and so powerful. And I'll go down through them real quickly. He says, God works for our good. Now that's important to know because the moment we leave the, the, the trial, the moment we leave the judge and we walk out into the open air, we begin to live our lives from day to day. And it's this conviction that is so incredibly important that will help us to live from day to day and to experience this love. It's one thing for God to say he loves us. It's another one entirely for us to experience the love of God in very practical ways. And here's one way that he does it. He says, it's our good that he's after. God is actively bringing forth his will for our life, a good life. Isn't that, of course, the goal? There is no condemnation, he says. But, you know, we don't condemn one another, nor should we ever condemn one another, especially within the church. But, you know, we understand that truth sometimes hurts. It, it pins us down. It brings us to this place. But one of the things that we find out is that God's goodness also means sometimes being confronted with the things that we're not doing so good, that we're blocking the hand of God. Very much like a father who's trying to teach his child to eat or to teach his child to be safe or to teach his child how to build something correctly. Of course, there's frustration on the part of the child who can't do it on their own, but the father then begins to intervene or the mother, and intervene and begins to help put this thing together or help to show them how to hold a spoon or how to do these things. And that's, that's the, the prerogative. That's the, the heart of the mother or the father. In this case, we're speaking of the heavenly father who's trying to come and help us, and yet we view it as God interrupting our life. We view it as God getting in our way. We view it as God's truth sometimes being inconvenient. And yet God is saying, no. I am for you, and I want good in your life. It is good that I am after. And God says, I am working it day after day to show you my love. Now, that is so powerful when you think about the days that we live in. That So if Paul were here, he could remind us to say, hey, look, don't be discouraged by what everything you see. Don't, don't be discouraged by the, the lies and the, the, hear, the hearsay and the rumors of war and all the different things that are taking place. He says, no, God has called you. God predestined you and God has justified. He's called you. He's justified you and he's going to glorify you and he's got purpose for you. And so he said, and it's all good. It's all good. Secondly, he says, we are called according to his purpose. Now, when we talk about the love of God, this gets a little deeper. He's all good, but what is that good? It's his calling. And what is that purpose? Well, it's to be conformed, he says right in there, to be conformed into the image of his son. God is working us, working in us on the inside to make us like Jesus. See, that's why we call ourselves Christians. And that's why they were initially called Christians there in Damascus and in Antioch is because they were acting like Jesus. They heard Jesus. They saw Jesus. And now they're seeing these, these people who were followers of Jesus acting just like him, both in character, in their attitude, and in their actions. So they were loving and they were caring for one another. They were laying hands on the sick and seeing recovered. They were seeing these miracles take place. And they were thinking to themselves, I thought only Jesus did that. But now these are little Jesuses or otherwise known as Christians. And so God is working that into us every day to, to conform into the image of his son so that we might bear fruit. 
in his name. And of course, he mentions here ultimately to be glorified, to be with the Father forever and ever in heaven, the reward, the the ultimate destiny for every believer in Christ. This life is but a blip, but eternity is forever. And that is the reward. That is the goal. And, and, And it says that Christ is coming back for a pure, spotless bride. And so that good is working, that calling is working, and it's making us into the pure spotless bride. It's making us like Jesus Christ. And so, again, it makes sense that the Holy Spirit, it would be actively working inside us to work God's goodness into us. And so that's so much more than condemnation or the lack thereof. So much more than just being condemned. It means we're redeemed, redeemed, not having a purpose before, but now having a purpose. You know, they talk about uh, repurposing things these days. You get on Etsy, you can buy repurposed art. You can get on uh, uh, Pinterest and you can uh, uh, buy repurposed things and, or teach us how to repurpose things. It's amazing to see what, you know, what you can do out there. And so much so, you know, it, it reminds me of how we are repurposed that we come into our destiny. And now we have a purpose that is beyond just breathing in and out. It's beyond just taking up space. It's beyond just going to work day in and day out, raising children, struggling to get, to get ahead. Oh, mercy, he has so much more for you, my friend. And as we surrender to that purpose, as we embrace that purpose, man, do we ever experience it? And there's nothing more satisfying and powerful than to be able to be used by God and to be able to experience the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, to be able to bring joy to someone else's life, which is their strength, to be able to do incredible things in the name of Jesus and how much joy that brings back into our life because we are becoming more like him. And that's where we'll be most satisfied. We'll, we'll be like that sheep next to the quiet waters where we will find the true purpose and peace for our lives. He goes on and says that he talks about how, uh, you know, in making this statement, he says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Because he lists all these different things that, that potentially can, can get in our way, these separators from the love of God. But he makes a statement. I just want to look at that. What, is that. what does that give birth to? This idea of being repurposed, this idea of having being redeemed and, and useful in the hands of God and bearing fruit for his name and changing this world in Jesus' name. He says that if, if, when we're doing this, if God is for us, who can begin? What does that produce? It creates confidence, my friend. And our confidence, we know, doesn't come from our own strength or assurance. It comes from God himself. There's so much focus on, on self-assurance, selfishness. And that is the thing of our age. I'm sure if Paul were here with us and he were walking among us, he would be overwhelmed, I think, by the narcissism. He'd be overwhelmed by the the ways of man and how far man has come. I, I think in many ways he would not be shocked because he foresaw it. He prophesied it to Timothy. He wrote it to Timothy. He knew that this selfishness would be uh, our undoing as, 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 a, uh, as humanity. And, and it's everywhere. And yet it's disguised in the forms of entertainment and, and, and all the things that, that we see out there that we don't realize that the deepest heart of all of this is a, is a wicked selfishness. And it's driving mankind insane. And you know, 
uh, as a pastor, I'm, I'm very aware of this. I'm, I'm almost like my name, of course, is David, and I, I think in some ways like David did when I read his Psalms, and David gets discouraged as he sees all this selfishness around him, and he sees, and he says, why do the wicked continue to prosper? Why are the most wicked people on the planet those who have so much money and they just seem like they're in control and, and the tail wagging the dog and controlling politics and controlling mankind? Why is it that they seem to continue to succeed? But the truth is, even in the midst of all of that, God is still in control and my confidence is in God. And I can come to this, this quiet confidence on the inside that quiet calm, which is really that joy of the Lord. It's quiet and it's settled, just like a baby with his mama. And so we can, we can be at rest seeing and hearing about all these things. We don't have to be overwhelmed, my friend. We don't have to be uh, discouraged by what we hear in the news. We don't have to be overwhelmed by all of that. We can have a great confidence that God knows, foreknew that all this was going to happen and that God's purposes will prevail. And more specifically, God's purpose in me will prevail. If God is for us, then who can be against us? That's the truth. We can believe that. Our confidence doesn't come again from us. And I was going to go on to say that, you know, sometimes I'm watching those who who garner a tremendous amount of praise from man. They bring glory upon themselves. And yet we don't, and rarely does the news bring to the forefront that many of these people die very sad, very sad, shortened lives. And, and yet, because it's because at some point in your life, you get to that point where man has, who has been lauding you and giving that person glory upon glory and just celebrating them, and, and that's not been deflected to God, that they one day stare into the mirror and look and say, you know, you're a fraud. Because deep on the inside, there's hypocrisy that all mankind tries to make man into a savior when man is no savior. There's only one savior. There's only one perfect God. There's only one son who came and who was perfect among us and yet died for us. And so there's almost a crushing blow that comes upon man when he takes this salvific path. And so in the end, they, they usually are crushed by it and die in anonymity. And their names are just a Wikipedia mention. And their great works often come to nothing. And of course, they can't take money with them. And that money is passed on, or maybe it was even squandered. But our God is for us. He is for us. And it says, who can be against us? And, and where does that confidence come from? It comes from what Jesus Christ has done. And it's because of his love for us. And when we know that I have no good thing, I can do no good thing, I can think no good thing without his presence, without what he has done in my life. Of course, that is one of the biggest wake-up calls when a person gives their life to Christ is the acknowledgement that, wow, all of this, as Paul mentions, it is he who's predestined me. It is he who has called me. It is he who has justified me. And it is he who will glorify me. When we come to that conclusion, realize it all belongs to God, then there's an incredible amount of humility and a confidence that is squarely placed on God himself. So our knowledge when it comes to all these things is very simple. Paul's making it clear. He's saying, look, in all these things, nothing can separate us from God's love. 
And nothing ultimately can separate us from the plan of God for us. Nothing. Now, I'm going to go down through some things that Paul said just as in that scripture that I read and just briefly kind of just going through them very quickly. And it says here, he said, neither death nor life. And, you know, we know that death is defeated. It is defeated. It's just a, it's just a speed bump, my friend. It's a transitional stage for every Christian. Death has been swallowed up in victory when the demons thought they had won by putting Jesus to death and, and placing the murderous heart in, in man who surrounded them, the Roman legions. They laughed. They, they cackled. But yet when Jesus rose from the dead, they must have thought, oh my gosh, what have we done? Our murderous plan has played right into the Father's plan, and now he is immortal. He lives forever, and he has conquered death. Therefore, those who put their hope in him will, have conquered, will conquer death as well and will walk in victory over death. What a tremendous slap in the face to the enemy of the living God to realize that now, for those who put their hope in him, will experience, they do not have to fear death ever. And that's, and even fear has been swallowed up in victory. And we have all, and he says that neither life, you know, there are, there are times we get overwhelmed by the, the, the hardness and the struggle of life. And even that will not separate us from the love of God. He says angels and demons. Angels, of course, are on our side. They're, they're ministering servants for the redeemed, for God's people. But demons, of course, are continue to, to try to dissuade and distract and lie to and, and deceive Mankind, even continuing to try to attack the church. Of course, they have no power because in Jesus' name, we can bind them and bind their work. And so what we learn from Scripture is that they have no power. They have no power. And so we can continue to walk forward and not fear that at all. And then he says present or the future or even the past. He doesn't mention the past, but a lot of times it is the past that, that bothers us. You know, you hear a song and it plays and it kind of reminds you of a, of a life that maybe you walk without Christ. There are smells, there are things that can elicit memory and those memories may not always be good. And so the past, even the past or the present, they cannot separate us from the love of God. That's all again, swallowed up in, in victory. And he goes on in the future, he says. To think about the future sometimes is overwhelming. We do not know what will come to pass. Sometimes that's what brings us so much anxiety that we don't even want to move. We don't want to travel. We don't want to get of our houses because we hear of the violence. We're afraid to take our, our children to school. We're, we're afraid to go to places where to, to, to travel. And, and that fear closes in on us. But here's Paul saying, look, I'm not going to fear the future because my future is in God's hands that my destiny is wrapped up in him. Even my life, my death are all in God. He's the author of it all. So I have nothing to fear. Nothing's going to separate that love from me. Certainly not fear in any way. He says, nor any powers. And I, I think he's speaking about the Roman government, even though he doesn't mention them by name. But that would make sense for, for Paul to know the all-seeing all-powerful Roman Empire at the time, how dominant it, it was. And he says, he talks about that even that power is, is, is maybe conspiratorial to the purposes and plans of God. But Paul knows that all of that 
is wrapped up in God. And all of that, those Roman roads are now being used for the gospel. That the, every, everything that the enemy does to try to thwart the kingdom of God, to, to kill Christians, they, they're like seeds that go in the ground that just burst up and bear even more fruit in the gospel going forward to all those nations surrounding the Mediterranean. It was powerful. Paul knew this. He said, nor any powers. And, and we know that, that God's schemes will not affect not only the, the kingdom of God going forward, but those schemes are not going to affect my future. If you think of secret brotherhoods and all the conspiratorial things that we can read about in the news, oh my goodness, none of that will come to, to anything. God laughs at that. And he, says, and he says, in my son, we rise up there in Psalm 2. He says, you know, you mock God. And Paul, of course, knew this because he was one of them. He was one of those who, who were opposing Christ. And God, with just a flick of his finger, knocks Paul off and reveals himself. And now Paul, his destiny is, is being re, re, uh, renewed. And, and Paul, even of himself, says, look, I was passionate. I thought I was being passionate for God, but it was totally misdirected. It was without knowledge. And so he goes on and says, neither height nor depth, any multidimensional mystery out there, any contrived human argument, anything in space or on the earth or under it, any secret plans done in the darkness will not be, will not thwart the purposes of God. And more importantly, my friend, will not thwart the purposes of God in your life. He goes on and says, and anything else, to cover it all, to say that nothing will separate the love of God or the purpose of God moving forward in my life and in your life. He says, anything else in all creation. And that pretty much covers everything else, including even our own self-condemnation. So folks, we're more than not just condemned. So a lot of Christians just live that way. We, we just love the idea that we're not condemned. And, and yet we walk out from the Lord's presence without any further understanding of what it is that we call. We go on to live our own lives. We go on to live a destiny separated from God. We, we choose who we want to marry on our own. We choose the jobs we're going to do on our own. We spend our money the way we choose. We, we raise our children in the ways we think. We do all of these things. And, and, and much of that, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say, is, is somewhat iniquitous. Because it's all done with my heart. It's not, it's all been with my plans. It's all been done with our intention, without bringing it to God and saying, God, what is your heart? What is your plan? How do you want to display your love through me? How will you want to bring your goodness? Because all things work to good. How can I cooperate? And that's a great word. How can I cooperate with the goodness of God? How can I cooperate with the plans of God? And that, my friend, is something you need to consider today. Because whether you're driving or you're sitting there, you need to think about how you are cooperating with the purposes and plans for your life. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and I hope you have, then my friend, you are no longer condemned. What Paul said in Romans chapter 1, as far as the wrath of God coming to the earth, is not your destiny. You will not experience the wrath of God. You will be gathered up and be with God forever. But here in this life, God wants you to experience the victory, the more than a conqueror. So he's, just saying, he's not saying you're just going to be a conqueror. He's saying you're going to be more than a conqueror. 
to experience victory in this life. We all know that heaven is a victory. That goes without saying. But living here in a conquering fashion is what God wants. That's what God has predestined for you. And because he's predestined for you to experience it, then he says, Paul says, and he's called you, and he's justified you, and he's glorified you. See, God sees it all as one and done. When God sees you, he sees you perfected. When God sees you, he sees you at his right hand. Now, that's a divine perspective, and that makes sense because that's exactly how I look at my own children. When I see them as small little children, I look at them in the eyes of faith. I look at that the, in the eyes of their destiny. And, of course, I'm not God, but I'm made in his image. And to, to, to flow in, in a father's heart, it would be to look at them and say, I know what God has for you. I, I have got a vision for your life. And, I'm, and I see you as a young, strong man, a young, beautiful, strong woman who's full of conviction and passion. That's what I see, and that's exactly how God sees you. So God's love will never fail us, and nothing can separate us from that love. And that's what he says here. And it's period. It's the end of the argument. And so how would Paul respond to our times? How would Paul respond to a church that is languishing somewhat in understanding the power that we've been given, the destiny that we've been given? Well, he would probably lovingly rebuke us and say, look, number one, understand that God is working. God is actively working in your life. And I want to tell you that over the radio waves today. God is working in your life. So I'll finish with this. If you've never given your life to Christ, you can do that. All you have to do is ask Jesus to be your Savior, and then you will be found in Christ. You believe that God raised him from the dead. You believe he ascended to heaven. You believe that God, he is coming again to gather up his faithful to gather up those who believe. If that's true of you, then my friend, you're saved. And guess what? Nothing will ever separate you from that salvation or the love of God that he has for you today. God bless you. I pray you have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Valley's podcast. Valley Community Church is located at 1215 Julian R. Allsbrook Highway in Weldon, North Carolina. We invite you to attend one of our Sunday morning services at 830, 10, or 1130 a.m. Visit us at valleychurch.us or our Valley app for more information about our ministry.